Hello everyone, welcome to Sec Tools podcast by Infosec Campus. I'm your host of the show. This is episode 45. Mm-hmm. We have a special guest today, Erlen with us, author of Retailers. Erlen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. Awesome. Um Erlen, um to start with uh where are you based in and what was your um uh, journey to information security? Right. I'm I'm based in in Oslo in Norway. Uh and I started working as a developer. Uh but I f- quickly figured out that security was one of the things that I found to be very interesting. So I I think the the some of the first things I started tinkering with was hack this site uh and similar like playgrounds for uh security related uh bugs and stuff like that. And uh I uh, was kind of building on that and we had had this um this uh group in the company. I was working for a consultant company at the time and we had this this group where you could focus on a specific area of uh of IT and and we we built one for for security uh, which I first was a member of and then I was leading for quite a few years. Um so we uh it it was it, that's that's where it started uh and i started working on more and more security related uh projects as well so uh whenever there was something re- related to security in any project i was was at i would immediately jump on that i would uh start doing uh pen tests for our customers uh for the the projects that we had if i could uh, could do that and uh um basically uh try try to help my coworkers learn more about security um so that, so uh, i guess i can say my my passion has always been to help developers uh write more secure code uh and and like be a be a helper instead of a gatekeeper in that space Yeah and and uh after some years as uh, so or many years as a developer I also worked a bit as a pen tester uh and I also worked in in I guess roles that you day today would call uh a security engineer platform engineer and a security champion so I had all kinds of of security related roles uh but uh so so yeah that's that's the gist of it I guess Awesome um and speaking about your project retail js right um i think web is evolving we have seen it's been um evolved into um technologies or or uh, supporting tools for developers to make developers life easier the more we are li- we are we are going in that direction um we are actually exposing to like more more set of code that user or developer doesn't have control on and that's where we are talking about right mm. um i remember uh, back in um 2013 when oasp introduced the new term as um unknown like vulnerabilities from unknown components and because the number of issues that reported from um third party libraries got exponentially bigger during those times and it got evolved I guess in the latest uh, version um it got really bumped up into A6 right i mean they they rang it in a specific order and it definitely increased uh significance of uh, third party libraries and 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 the importance of watching those libraries for security vulnerabilities and retailers definitely solve a lot of problem not just for pen testers but for developers and in in the modern ci cd pipelines and what not um where did the whole idea started um and how you do it 
Yeah, it, it started with, uh, I guess, with OWASP uh, top 10 and, and A9, the introduction of, of A9, because I, I started, there, there was a lot of discussion even before that you could find this under, I, I think it was A6 uh, security misconfiguration or something, where it was mentioned that, uh, well, you might be using uh, components with non-vulnerabilities, but it wasn't really a proper part of the OWASP top 10 until, until that release. And uh, there were some tools where you could find uh, like what versions of, of Java libraries are you using and, and that kinds of things. But um, I was speaking to a colleague of mine and he said um, something along the lines of every website has the jQuery version that was uh, the current version at the time the site was built. And, and I found that to be quite interesting because it's probably true. Like it, we, today, when we're building a, a front end, we keep like downloading and upgrading and adding new versions. But uh, back in, in 2013, you would mostly either uh, hotlink the library directly from a CDN or you would download it and stick it in a folder. And when you download and stick it in a folder, you forget to update it. So I wanted to figure out, can I scan uh, a source code uh, or a, a source code repo and see if which libraries are in there basically that that's the the, the thing that i set out to to fix with with retire.js so uh i built a tool to to use as a command line tool uh on your uh local development environment basically so you can okay uh fingerprint the libraries find the ones that uh might have known vulnerabilities in them and um uh, I started out with just a few libraries like jQuery and stuff like that and kept adding new ones. And eventually I figured out, hey, it would be cool if this was also a browser plugin. Uh, so I wrote a browser plugin for uh, for Google Chrome. Um, and in that version, I also added a, a new piece of functionality that wasn't available in the in the command line version. And that was like, you, you can call functions of the libraries that are currently loaded in the browser to see if they would respond. So you could do like jQuery.version and it would return the version if jQuery was there. So I could even do more stuff there. Uh, and I added that that browser plugin just to the repo. I never published it in the, in the Chrome web store because I didn't really want it to be uh, out, out there in that, that's, uh, that way. But uh, some, I think someone else published it at some point. Uh, and uh, someone else said, "Hey, I, I like this, but I want to. I'm only using Firefox, so I want to build a Firefox plugin for it." And then they built the Firefox plugin as well. Um, and I also set up a website where you could just plug in a URL, and it would scan it for you. Uh, th this site was running for quite a few years, but I took it down recently because I basically it was uh, wasn't really used that much anymore, and I didn't want to pay for the hosting. <laughs> um, but and and then uh, a couple of other things happened as well uh, along the way. Um, uh, someone uh, created a plugin for OWASP SAP and also for Burp Suite. Uh, so uh, those the the uh, the Burp Suite plugin was one of the really popular plugins for quite some time, and I guess this was uh, a lot because of uh, bug bounty hunters uh, using it to find uh, to get bounties for for finding libraries that were out of date. Uh, but probably also pen tester. It's like an easy thing to add to a report if you can say, "Hey, you're using a library that has an vulnerability." Uh, and uh, to the point now where where it's native in Burp Suite, I think it, there's still a plugin for it at um, at uh, at a Wasp SAP, but I think it's natively in 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 Burp Suite now. So they probably did a a reimplementation of of it uh, with their own data sources.
Yeah, I mean, uh, speaking about Bentist effort, right? And the the logistics of triaging these findings are actually a bit of bit on heavy on Bentist side because we'll have to individually individually look at each libraries because these days the number of libraries used in like in a single page application mm-hmm. also like heavy because of like a, they are trying to offload the um the development development features or like some of the functionalities of an applications to the third party libraries right and uh, retajs makes it easy i mean technically makes pentester's mm. life lazy also right <laughs> it's 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 an easy pick to identify like the number of number of libraries been used and which versions are using and what what are the existing vulnerabilities technically speaking pentesters don't necessarily try to exploit it during the enge- engagement don't necessarily need to exploit it during the engagements as long as they are using the outdated vulnerabilities it's usually gets reported anyways and then the yep. verification happens at later point uh, but my major question is these libraries per each versions will have new vulnerabilities coming in and you're maintaining i when i looked at your website uh, there were around like 450 libraries that you're in monitoring by retajs how do you do it <laughs> <laughs> well that's a that's a good question uh it's it's uh, very much a manual effort uh i i've been trawling the the change logs and uh issue trackers and cves and all kinds of stuff like that for quite some time um trying to figure out what was there of course now there are some open source databases as well that you can look at um some of the um the, the companies that uh, like sneak and others they have uh, public databases that you can use to to see what's there uh but but yeah i i i've mainly been using change logs uh for a long time uh because they usually contain, if there's a security vulnerability we will mention security and then uh, there was an xss in some library uh and and to to start with i was kind of hoping that um like the developers of a library would want to own this themselves and and be able to say uh well my library has historically had these and these uh vulnerabilities but um i guess it's a bit of a hard sell at this point so uh, so that this was mainly up to the to the tool maintainers so either uh the commercial vendors they build their own databases and i built one that uh, for for retired gsm uh for a long while i had two different databases i had one for for basically standard front end libraries and one for npm packages but with uh, with npm audit being introduced uh and uh npm's acquisition of uh, of the node security project uh i have kind of deprecated the npm part because it's really it, there's so many packages in npm it's growing exponentially almost and I didn't seem uh it didn't seem like a useful thing for me to maintain the the npm part of it anymore. So now I'm mainly focusing on on the front end libraries and the stuff that can be detected uh, in a browser when it's running or that you might accidentally like an old system that's not using modern uh modern front end libraries uh, and, and which then might have an, an old version of library lying around. And and one of the things that's that's interesting with this is um uh it's a few years ago now but what I did was I I um I instrumented uh at the time phantom js uh and so I so that I, I could open up um a website in phantom js a headless browser uh figure out which javascript library is it using and then uh figure out if any of them were were vulnerable so 
I wanted to check like the the Alexa top one million, the Fortune five hundred, uh, and and lots of stuff like that. And it, uh, and and it's been interesting to see because I was scanning this um, uh, one uh, once once or twice per year for a couple of years, and you could you could see the 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 it started out that somewhere around seventy percent had libraries with non abilities, and then it was dropping, and then it was increasing a bit again, and then it was dropping again. So. Uh, at least it was going in mainly in the in the right direction, but but it seems uh, to me that this was something that the companies they really didn't know they didn't know that they had these libraries on their like the main website of the company. Uh, this was uh, uh, not something that they were aware of. Uh, so that that was it was interesting to 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 see that and uh, and some of I mean uh, you 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 mentioned that like. Uh, Pen tester don't always check it, and that, that's that's uh, if it's vulnerable or not. And that that's an interesting part of this discussion because uh, just because you have a library with a known vulnerability doesn't necessarily mean that your website is vulnerable, uh, because it, it it might not be possible to trigger the vulnerability. So maybe your code never calls the vulnerable function in the library. Uh, there are exceptions, of course, like uh, I think it was jQuery Pretty Photo, which uh, if you had that on your site and was loaded, then the site was vulnerable because it was it was always vulnerable if it was loaded. But then uh, jQuery, uh, there has to be certain things that you do for it to be vulnerable and same thing holds for a moment, which is a date parser and, and all kinds of other libraries. But, um, and th this is kind of a thing that we see generally in, uh the development space at the moment where people are using this these um uh sea tools to, to check if they're using not just javascript libraries but all kinds of libraries be it java or uh, nuget packages or python packages or whatever um that there is this alert fatigue that's creeping in uh where uh, if you have lots of code and you you're using lots of libraries which is often the case if you have npm packages because they drag in uh, you you might have six packages that you're using directly, but then you have transitive dependencies, which again are transitive dependencies, and so we end up loading hundreds of packages. And so there's there's a lot of bugs to swat when you look at the standard output of one of these tools. So if you have Dependabot or if you have one of the commercial tools, then then that's it's it's going to to like be read for for quite often, and it doesn't necessarily mean that the code is vulnerable because it's uh it might not be possible to trigger a vulnerability so this is this is one of the things that uh that i think as an industry we, we need to solve because it's uh it's becoming a problem and uh, there are some vendors now that are trying to solve that mm -hmm. yeah uh, and also i mean you put out a valid point there right when when we discuss with developers about like hey there is a vulnerable version of jquery has been used or any any such third party library has been mm -hmm. used um you probably need to update to the latest version the usual response from these uh, from from these developers are like, hey, if I update it, maybe my UI will break or my applications will break mm -hmm. at some point. And at the same times, uh, we see organizations like largely developing multiple applications, managing different versions of the same library. Um, mm -hmm. As an industry, we are trying to solve that a problem to um, navigate the developers or at, at least in one organization to upgrade um, organically to like the similar versions and maintain comparatively lesser versions across the applications. What is your thoughts on it? Like how do we navigate developers to go in that direction? 
I'm going to go on a, on, a, on a small tangent there because one interesting thing that I found while scanning all the, the, the websites was that I, I would find uh, websites that were loading multiple versions of the same library. So there might be like three different versions of jQuery just to like to prove the, how, the point of how hard this can be. Um, so one of the, I think the, the the most important things that we need to fix, and this is this is mainly on the library developers, is we need to have proper versioning. So it's safe to upgrade from one version to another as long as you're following Semver or some uh, some similar versioning system. So if I want to go from version, if I want to go on a, on a minor upgrade or a patch upgrade, there shouldn't be it shouldn't break my code. And that's been a problem uh, for a long time. I, I remember when when I was working on a, on a big Java project, and we we found that we had HTTP client, which was a Java library that had um, SSL verification issue uh, to upgrade to HTTP client three, which was uh, in this case a breaking change. That was super hard because um, there was so many changes, and uh, there was no fix for version two. Uh, so uh, when I when I've spoken to to my fellow developers about this, it's I've always tried to say it's it's best to try to update as often as possible and to keep on the latest versions. Uh, and there are uh, two reasons for this. One of them is uh, well, often they try to fix bugs, so uh, uh, the the hopefully the newest version will be have fewer bugs than the previous ones. And some of these bugs that they fix might have been security issues. Uh, and sometimes developer fix, uh, an open source developer will fix uh, a security issues silently. So there's no mention that this was a security bug, it's just fixed and it's uh, it disappears into oblivion. And, and no one basically knows about it except the developer that wrote the library. So that's one part of it. And, and the second one is, let's say that you, you have a library, you haven't upgraded for quite a long time, and then there's a super, super important security fix that needs to be applied. If you're far behind, then that fix is going to be costly to apply because you, you now have to take into account all the changes that have happened for the last, I don't know, let's say it's two years. You haven't upgraded this library for two years. Now you need to take all of that in one go instead of only applying one uh, one new version. You now have, maybe you have to apply ten new versions, and so there might be a lot of breaking changes in between. While if you've kind of kept up to date in small increments, it's easier to 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 like tag along until that point in time, and so the the fix where. And, and basically, if you have a vulnerability in production, you want to fix this as soon as possible. You don't want to have to fix all the, the, the 10 years or the 10 months or whatever of, of issues. You want to just fix that exact problem. But now you can't because you haven't been following along. Uh, the, the other part of it is, is also that you don't know, even though you don't know if your, your, your uh, code is going to be vulnerable just because it's using a vulnerable version of a library. It's often more safe to opt into to updating than to to stay on a on a vulnerable version. And and a good example of this is again uh, a um, project I was working on where we had a uh, a library and that library had a vulnerability in it. And I asked like, hey, should we should we update this? And it's like, no, we're not really using it anymore. It's just in there. We're going to remove it. 
And it turned out that it was making the application vulnerable just by being there because it was somehow possible to reach an endpoint. Uh, this, this, in this case, we weren't breached. Um, it was um, we found it uh, in a sort of a debugging thing uh, where we we ended up finding that vulnerability regardless. But it, it just proves that it's it's super hard to know if a vulnerability in a, in a library is is uh, reachable or not if you don't have the proper tools in place. Um, and, and this is this is uh, so so I always say try to keep up to date. That's the the, the safest path. Um, but it's it is hard uh, because yeah, of breaking changes of of the fear of breaking something. You just want to fix this thing. You don't uh, like. There's a let's say you're a developer. You're pressed for time. Uh, the the project manager is saying, hey, you need to fix this new UI thing as soon as possible. And then you say, yeah, I just have to upgrade this library as well. And uh, that's gonna add time to whatever you're doing. Uh, and and you're as you said you're you might be afraid of of, of breaking something like okay I'm gonna upgrade this library and then uh, the whole UI falls apart. So uh, to to make upgrades safe, uh, the other side of this is that we so we have the the versioning part, but we also have the testing part to the or uh, the automated testing parts. Uh, so if we if we have good enough tests, then upgrades should be safe. Uh, if we have automated tests that will verify that, well, if I uh, let's say there's a smoke test that checks the standard flows, I'm not I'm not encouraging people to write uh, like browser tests that go through all the flows and tests all edge cases. But I'm just saying, if you have automated tests that that do like smoke tests of the standard flows of your your web front end, then at least you know that after the upgrade. Uh, the most important things will work. And if the upgrade breaks something, it's hopefully not uh, the most important things. Yeah, valid points here. I, I just realized that when when we are rushing through the Agile culture, the library updates are never part of the budget. You know, in time budget, it's never be mm. part of it. So they only start considering updating these libraries or any third-party issues when they have a finding on it. It should be as same as how they upgrade feature updates, right? I mean, library update should be part of the yeah. time budget. I I did a talk at some point where I at a at a conference uh, where I I'm not sure if it's a good uh, metaphor, but I, I I talked about this uh, in the same way that you you talk about your car. Uh, so um, if you don't um, uh, control your car if you don't like uh, change the oil and you don't uh, uh, check the brakes and, and replace the, the 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 brake discs and stuff like that if they're worn out then at some point you will have a catastrophe so either the engine will break down or something like that and and so so it's kind of like that we have to make sure that we update the libraries to to uh, it's like a service for your application like you have a service for your car it's a service for your application. Uh, I'm not sure if that's uh, that's a good metaphor, but that, that's at least the one I was using. Um, because at least uh, it's it's kind of uh, we have technical depth, and and a part of technical depth is security depth. And if you're tagging too far along, that's that's one one uh, like the or lagging for too far behind. That's uh, in in my opinion a, a type of of technical security depth that we might have in the application. Yep, that metaphors works perfectly. <laughs> do regular servicing. <laughs> if you want a long run, yeah, definitely do regular servicing. <laughs> Alan, uh, the reference that you mentioned, right, regarding the 
um, Alexa top websites and also you did the same same exercise on Norwegian uh, domains as well. What yeah. was the main um, takeaway from it? Like what what did you learn from those those experiences? Uh, so, so the the main idea about it was just to to be able to to see what was there uh, and and if this was an actual problem or it was something that was uh, kind of constructed and and from what I could see from the statistics is that this was a real problem that people did not upgrade their libraries uh, and so uh, that that was the initial reason why I wanted to to scan. And and then uh, later the, the reason was I wanted to see if things were improving or moving in in a, the right direction, and um, it seemed like it was like things were moving in the right direction. People were starting to upgrade their libraries, but still, uh, when I did this, you could find li- uh, versions of libraries that were for uh, from like the first the, some even some of the most. Uh, early versions of of jQuery were still present on some websites, and and they kept staying there. Um, so some it seemed like some part of the um, the websites they actually did update, and some parts of them they they would just stay forever. And and that that uh, that's also something I've seen when uh, when I've been doing pen tests, and also when you look at the the industry as a whole that there's um, not just the security industry but all the basically all companies that have websites there tends to be uh comp- like you create a website for something uh and you create that at some point let's let's say there's an event and you create a website for that event and then you never remove it you just like you publish it and it's there for this event and then you don't do anything more with that website so it, it just sits on the internet forever Uh, holding the maybe on one of your domains a subdomain or something and it might end up being vulnerable and and the front end libraries is one thing like that's uh it worst case for front end library is probably cross site scripting which is bad enough but it isn't like uh let's say world ending for the company but it what it tells us is if you don't upgrade the front end libraries maybe you're not upgrading the back end libraries either So this website that has a uh, an old front end libraries might just as well have really old back end libraries. Um and then struts comes to mind with the whole uh uh breaches that that have been with, with that library. So um it 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 for me this was an an attempt at measuring this uh, on a larger scale. And I think the the results that came out of it was that this is a real problem and it's something that we need to handle. Great. Before we wind up, what's your advice or um, sharing your experience to people who wanted to get into InfoSec or uh, wanted to contribute to the open source community? So if, if you want to start with with uh, with InfoSec, I think one of the best things to do is to to, uh, to uh, ask some uh, ask some people that you know are in the space about some maybe some book recommendation or and something like that, and also play around with uh, some of these vulnerable uh, websites that are around there uh, that are out there for for learning purposes. So I mentioned Hack This Site, which was the ones I started with, but there are lots of great uh, websites out there today uh where you can learn uh in an easy way um how to how to uh how to get started with with uh with security um and and lots of the even the commercial companies they have uh free labs and and free resource material that you can use to learn 
um, you can uh, you can also try like OWASP has a lot of resources. I'm a, I'm the chapter lead for for OWASP Norway, and OWASP has a lot of resources as well that you can learn from. Um, not just the OWASP top ten, but there's the OWASP ASBS, there's the OWASP cheat sheet series. Uh, so OWASP has a lot of of resources that are are great to learn from. Um, so that was the what was the other question? About, Sorry, um, anyone who wanted to get into open source contribution. Yes, yes. Um, so if you want to get into open source contribution, there's um, there's definitely ways to do that, either by finding a project that you really like and see if there's anything you can contribute uh, to that, or, or basically just get started with your own project. But I think maybe the easiest way is to find a, a project where where you see that there are possible contributions uh, and 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 try to start in in that uh, that in one, at one of those um it's it's really easy to get get started in uh, usually now because we have uh, pull requests on uh, on github and and also uh, most of the open source projects on github they have um contribution guidelines that helps you in, in how to structure it, what to what to write in the pull request and stuff like that. So it makes it easier. And it's basically a lot of the open source people are friendly and they they appreciate help. And will if you submit something and it's uh, there's some oddities in it, they will many of them will, will try to help you to get uh, and get it into the correct shape. But uh, of course it depends. There are some open source projects where the where the owners uh, don't uh, really want to help, they will just reject it if it's wrong. But uh, I, I suggest people just try. That's <laughs> okay. Thanks, Ellen. It was great talking to you, and thanks for Retage's project. It was amazing. It helps a lot as a pen tester myself. Um, it helps really a lot. Um, so great work there, and keep contributing it. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks everyone for listening to the podcast. We'll see you in the next one.